Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Style That Binds Us podcast. We are very excited to have Parissa Fowles Pastro, founder and CEO of Maxbone, on our show today. Maxbone sells stylish and affordable luxury dog products and is beloved by Priyanka Chopra, Emily Raddatt. Jowski, Lucy Hale, Lily Collins, and so many more. Their aesthetic is influenced by fashion, architecture, and features upscale functionality. They have collaborated with Disney, Christian Cowan, Kewel, Recess Away, Illustiva, and Oi. They have been featured in Ford, Front Row, Goop, Inc., and many others. Oh, my goodness, Parisa. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. That was an amazing intro. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have accomplished a lot since starting this brand. Where did you get the idea for Maxbone? Did you always want to start a company? Thank you. Yes, been a lot of hard work. Well, the inspiration was, of course, my English bulldog. You know, I didn't have a dog before him and experienced the pet world for the first time and realizing how archaic the industry was from products to experience. I mean, there was nothing out there that was affordable luxury. You either had cheap pet retailers or Louis Vuitton and Goyard where you had to go and spend $2,000 for a collar. So that's really where the idea came from for Max Bowen to create an affordable luxury brand. And uh, it's a billion-dollar industry, and no one was tapping into that with that mindset and serving the new generation masses who, you know, they're very educated about what they want and need, and they require better quality products with a modern approach. So that's kind of where the idea came from. And, you know, I always kind of wanting to start my own company. I've always been very creative and entrepreneurial, even if I hate the word entrepreneur since I, since it comes across as cheesy sometimes, but I really enjoy creating something unique and building a team. Yeah. I agree with you about the word entrepreneur. It's kind of a, it's also overused, these overused. Days, right? <laughs> it really is. We, we went to a fun event at Rockefeller center recently with you, you collaborated with cool yeah. And our friend Jim was there. He's been yeah. on the podcast too, the president of Cool. And the dogs, people brought their dogs and they had portraits taken with their dogs wearing oh the little dog vests. And people that are listening to the podcast may remember some of our stories on social media because we definitely posted. We're so cute with the matching vest, puffered vest for the humans and the dogs. And it's just a delightful, delightful brand. And we're so glad that you're with us. I was wondering, so you get this idea, you think now you have this dog, you've fallen in love and you know exactly what you're looking for. You go out and you realize, well, it's not here. I cannot find what I'm looking for. I don't necessarily want to spend thousands of dollars, but I'm not going to you know, I want something that is elevated and chic and, you know, fun. So how did you take that dream and make it a reality? You know, I would say having an idea is one thing, but actually executing tech scouts, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to have an idea, but implementation is hard. So sometimes you just, you know, you just have to, you just have to dig in and start somewhere, even if it's small moves, such as name, website, you know, set up your IG or continue step-by-step. If I feel like some people take too much time researching and perfecting the product or plan and they never execute it. 
And my husband is like that. So he would be the one that continue having an idea and never implement it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I was with Scrappy. I jumped in before I was ready. I wasn't happy with my website, logo, and wanted to do everything very budgeted to make sure, you know, there was a demand before I invested mm-hmm. too much mm-hmm. of my own money because I knew that I wanted to have modern products, but I didn't know if the market wanted it. And I can say that social media was kind of a big help in my business and that I created something that didn't exist, I guess, helped creating the demand. And I was lucky that a lot of celebrities started buying, they were buying actually Max Bone instead of being gifted. And that helped really spreading awareness. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a huge difference right there. It's a little bit helpful when stylists put your pieces on celebrities, you know, and we hear this from designers all the time but it it doesn't go that far because the next day they're wearing somebody else's something or another, but when they're actually incorporating it into their lives and people see them walking their dogs with your pieces on, that is when, you know, it's a big help. Plus, you know, they're just like everyone else. They're humans too. So if they like it, most likely everyone else is going to like it. So exactly, it's authentic. It's emotional. And that's how you kind of, spread the real awareness. (laughs) Exactly. And the pieces you've created are adorable. And I love the social media. I mean, even if you have a dog or not, (laughs) seeing a photo of a cute little dog in an outfit, it just (laughs) creates a happy moment on Instagram or wherever you happen to be, or even just walking down the street and seeing a dog in an outfit is really fun. So how did you learn to start running, grow a company? I mean, I guess I learned the hard way and I I really didn't have a mentor, which I think is important. Uh, And I would suggest everyone reads a dummy's guide, how to start a company (laughs) (laughs) from, you know, simple stuff to setting up your trademark, your tax idea. It's just like basic things that you have to get 100% right. If you don't get it right, it can come back at you. And regarding to grow the company, really, I just followed my intuition about how to create a brand awareness from strategic retail placement to our own pop-up stores where we always chose amazing locations because I wanted to create a certain brand. So location was very important to us to put it next to you. Human brands such as Saint Laurent or Louis Vuitton or Goyard or whatever it is so to create that Max Bond is not just a random dog brand. And we always create great experiences, which no one had done in the, in the pet industry and my vision has always been to humanize the pet world and create the same experience as you're shopping for yourself because it doesn't need to be different. End of the day, you're the one shopping, not the dog. <laughs> uh, and I always say it's not just you know one element that suddenly grows your company. It's not that Oprah magazine. It's not that billboard. It's all those 10,000 things you do, which suddenly clicks and makes your company grow. So you, you know, So I really did it by my own kind of intuition of like, Let's try, let's try the billboard. Let's try the pop-up stores. And I think all these elements suddenly click together. All pet commercials hit you in an emotional way. But to me, your emotional component is like this super chic, kind of cool, but fun, elevated vibe. You know, so um, I just think about the people that were getting their portraits taken with their dog. They were kind of cool and kitschy, I don't know the right word too. And then when they were with their dog and they were in these chic little looks, it was, you know, it was, it was aspirational and adorable and emotional all wrapped up in one. So I think happiness, it creates happiness. Right. In a very elevated way. Yeah. But not a super expensive way. 
No, exactly. It's affordable luxury, which is very important for the current climate, for the current customer. Who is yes. you know, So having a product that is good quality, but still not expensive, it's it's, and at the same time, when you have something that lasts longer, it's more sustainable and it's very important for mm-hmm. them. I think you're really reimagining the pet industry, basically. Exactly. <laughs> you know, as mentioned before, we're humanizing an industry which mm-hmm. hasn't seen our, seen our pets as family members. It's not that we loved our pets, you know, tw- less 20 years ago. It's just people were making money out of selling junk. So why change something that is not broken? But that's when I saw it was very broken to me and we needed to change. Our entire customer experience is different to other pet companies from our product designs, quality and delivery experience with nice packaging. And we do continue connecting with our consumer, which is very important. You need to keep your customer intrigued. So after the purchase is done, also we have in-store experience, uh, which feels you're going to any other fashion store for yourself, like going into Barney's or, uh, you know, like you're shopping for yourself. Uh, And with the social media world we live in, we're more aware of ourselves. We're more aware of our pets, our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. We want the best. And therefore, you know, the demand is there now. So we are kind of fulfilling it. So we're in the right time, right place, I feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my dream from day one was to change as well the food landscape, but it's not as exciting. It's not as, it wasn't as interesting to, you know, to the consumer because creating a brand was easier for me to go that route and then mm-hmm. get into the food space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Looking at the food space, you know, we have three types of food. We have kibble, which is processed in a way there's no way that you have any nutritional left. And then you have fresh food in the market and fresh food is great, but end of the day it's cooked and it has less nutritional level. So it's very difficult to travel with. And then you have freeze dried, which we launched a few months ago. And freeze dried is raw meat and it's treated in a freeze dried machine. So it's basically 95% and protein. And it's mixed with superfood, like our superfood is coconut, chia seed, and other high nutritional ingredients that you see really in human food, since they are expensive. But we think our pets deserve the same. So I think that's why we feel like we are reimagining the pet industry. We have this 360 approach with health and wellness and having great products. That's great. That's so interesting about the chia seed and the coconuts and all the things that uh, we've learned, you know, in the last decade that are superfoods for us they are superfoods for dogs as well exactly and the superfood you know it's been overused in the food industry for dogs you see it a lot but it's just they're using carrot and (laughs) it's not superfood it is coconut and chia seeds and other ingredients you know we did we worked with an amazing nutritionist it took us almost uh, one and a half years to get the food ready um, but we're very, very happy and excited about that. And it's, as I said, it's a 360 approach. We want the dog to be healthy, to live a long life. Mm-hmm. We want the parents to be happy with the products they have in their house. So we see every product as important as the other. And your packaging is beautiful too, which always helps. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It's, it's nice. It's nice, nice way to get a delivery with a nice package. It makes you happy. And, you know, the end of the day is like, what's important to us to make the humans happy and makes the dogs happy. And, and I think that especially during COVID time was a very good thing for us to mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. And it is interesting about packaging, how it does make a difference. You know, it's also, it's like the first impression before yeah. they, even, you know, open it up. Exactly. Feeling about what the brain is like. 
if they weren't even planning to purchase it, it's like, oh my God, I can't mm-hmm. not because <laughs> the foods, the package is beautiful. It, it entices you for mm-hmm. sure purchase. This next question I am very excited about since the products are so adorable. Will you walk us through the design process? What inspires you? How long does it take? All of the things. So, you know, we think about three things when we design. It's aesthetic, of course. Functionality is important and practicality because it's end of day for dogs. You know, I this sounds like something that you think I wouldn't stand for, but we don't make clothes to dress dogs up. It's for function because such as cold weather and dogs do freeze when they go to Aspen or when it's a cold weather in New York. But of course we have fun with our collaborations and make over the top designs, such as like Christian Coven jumper, which is one of our best sellers. And that makes our followers smile. So that is important to us as well. You know, as I said, we want to make humans and dogs happy and creating those moments of connection. So when Dogs are wearing a Christian Coven jumper. They get stopped on the street and we get emails about this all the time, which is so, (laughs) it makes us so happy to receive that, you know, our followers keep the connection with us. They email us and they say, oh, someone stopped me on the street. This is the best jumper ever. So getting those kind of things is so exciting for us and keeps us going. And also I'm a sucker for beautiful things and surroundings. <laughs> uh, I'm very lucky to have an exceptionally talented husband with a great eye for details. So he builds homes and uh, the homes we build are always amazing. Everybody wants to copy us. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I get inspired by that and bring those design elements into Max Bone to how do I want the dog products to look like in a house? You know, do I want it to be an eyesore? Do I want it to be gray or sand? And how do I want that mm-hmm. to look like? So that is a big inspiration for me, looking at the home first. And of course, you know, I get inspired by traveling and seeing amazing hotels, such as Amman Hotels, which is one of my favorite hotels. Mm-hmm. Every time I go there, I get inspired. So getting inspired first before designing is important to me. And then from design to delivery takes around three months for each product. Um, but you know, having those aspects of, we're not just making things to make things, you know, we are very conscious about being sustainable, making products that last long and that they have, you know, functionality for the dog. I think that is a a good point because the pieces that I saw for the dogs to wear, they are stylish, they are fun, but they are not I don't want to offend anyone else, but they're not silly. They're not like you're dressing them up like a little prop. You know, it's like they need two. And so we're going to put this little puffer or the sweater on them that that we would wear too, which just makes it fun. But it's definitely serves a purpose. It's not just for the purpose of making a dog miserable because you're putting bows all over their their hair. So. I'm happy to say that, yeah. yeah. Because I, I always say, why would you put a ballerina skirt on a dog when you don't wear a ballerina skirt yourself? And I exactly. always find it very cheesy and very tacky. So that's why I always say we don't want to dress dogs up. This is for functional reasons. We make raincoats because it rains outside. You don't want the dog to get wet. Dogs hate getting wet. <laughs> so right. uh, we would make a rain jacket that you actually would wear yourself. So that is the right. kind of whole design aspects of it. And but the reason why I actually was putting hoodies on my English bulldog is that he sheds like mad. I mean, he shakes his hair everywhere. So ah. I didn't want <laughs> any sounds, you know, no one knows about it. But if you put a hoodie on them, the hair doesn't go everywhere. It stays in the hoodie. 
before I started Max Bone, the only dog hoodies that literally it was like you have to go to PetSmart and buy a Lakers T-shirt. So there was nothing out there that was <laughs> nice quality, <laughs> or, <laughs> or you know had a humanized kind of design to it. And the quality was so bad. I had one washes and I had to buy a new one. So that was the reason why I even got into thinking about fashion and clothes. That there is, you know, there's practical reasons. I put it on my dog because he sheds. So. Yes, I wouldn't put a ballerina skirt on him for sure not. <laughs> I mean, some of those things, I think it's a it's a detriment. I mean, I think the dogs or the, you know, the animals are, it doesn't make them happy and it's not comfortable oh. for them. Exactly. This is actually to help them. Exactly. And yeah. the products we use, the t-shirts is like modal. It's, you know, we're not using, right. you know, we're using amazing quality fabric. So if you're going to put something on your dog, don't make them look silly. <laughs> right. Or uncomfortable. Absolutely. <laughs> So how long does it take from start to finish when you decide you're going to make a certain thing? Or like with the dog food, you said that that took a year. Yeah, yeah the dog food takes, you know, it took a long time because we really wanted to perfect the recipe, test it on our dogs and making sure that, you know, from taste that it tasted good to kind of being healthy. So that takes longer time. And, um, but the, for the products itself, for the clothes, you know, it's like getting inspired by something and we always think about the entire year of what are we producing? What are we making? And um, yeah, it takes three months to come up with the idea, make a sample and then go into production. Okay. Yeah. That, that made me think about all the different collaborations. Um, but before we get to all of that, I was going to ask you, we do have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to our podcast. Any tips for entrepreneurs on how to build a community for their brand? Yeah. So this word is overused, I think, but we do believe in it. Uh, be authentic and have your community be part of your growth and follow data and listen to what their needs are. You know, always entertain your customer, keep the magic so they don't get bored. It's important to keep the customer engaged. You know, we always work hard on keeping our current customer and growing a new audience uh, with our pop-up experience, as I men- mentioned before, collaborations. And, you know, we have to always keep innovating so, you know, the community doesn't just grow by itself. They grow because they truly like you and they kind of want to follow your story and you keep them always excited and you have to connect with your consumer. So that's how you grow a community. Mm-hmm. Great advice because there's never going to be a day when you say, okay, I'm done. This is what it is. And it's going to stay just like this and it'll be great. You have to keep engaging and coming up with new things and, you do. You have to do that. It's it's so important to keep uh, keep innovating and uh, wanting other or or you have one you know one product that people have to come back for. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, uh, most brands don't because even if you have food, you know the dogs get bored of the food after three months, mm-hmm. so they change to another food. Mm-hmm. So you have to always keep kind of innovating to get the consumer coming back. And you're always the, the customers that you have are are your cheapest customers because continuing getting new customers is expensive. So the best way to do it is by keeping your current customers happy and hopefully there will be word of mouth and it will grow organically. Great advice. So Parisa, what sets Maxbone apart from its competitors? I know you have mentioned a lot about this, but anything else to add? I mean, I, I think that we're the first, to be honest, modern DTC brand with a one-stop destination approach. You know, you can find your food, you can find grooming, you can find toys, treats, like all in one place. And we want to make it convenient for the customer. 
And you can trust our products and delivery and it's affordable luxury. So, you know, you get a better quality product. Uh, you pay slight more than Chewy, but the products last you longer. And I feel like our competitors, maybe the brand competitors that are popping up, they have only one leash or one harness. And that's not kind of brand awareness. I feel like we have more of a 360 approach and platform, which they don't have. <laughs> we love all the brands that you have collaborated with. We know several of them personally and just love them. And we want to know how they came about and what effect they've had on your brand. Thank you so much. Yeah, we love them as well. <laughs> you know, we've been lucky that we get approached all the time for collaborations. So we can really kind of proceed with the ones that have aligned brand ethos. And collaborations are really extremely important to us. And we have seen that this way from the beginning when I started the business is that besides that, you know, we love creating these fun kind of moments for our followers. It's, um, it's a cheaper way to reach out to a new audience and create a higher lifetime value by creating our current customers, you know, coming back for something exciting again. And we, you know, we love working with these brands such as Kewl and uh, the recent collaboration is with Bala, which is a fantastic company. And we work with them with different, they, re, they, have, they all have different kind of approaches. For Kewl, it was so much fun to work with a really a fashion brand uh, that is very cool. So we kind of saw ourselves very aligned and we loved creating something for the human that had matching for the dog because we do get that request all the time about do you have something matching for my for myself can you make uh, you know your products in human sizes we don't have time for that i would love to do that but we don't have time for that <laughs> <laughs> and the fashion industry is a tough one um so you know it was exciting to work with them and you know very you know we love their products and then bala what i like about bala bala is um they're they you know bangles for weights so very kind of sport direction and we love our kind of followers being active with their dogs. So we made a matching toy that matches their kind of weights. So that was really fun. But it was interesting that, you know, I got approached just six months into creating the business that, you know, that I noticed that I had something special is when Disney approached me. And I actually thought that um, it was um, a wrong email. I'm like, is this a spam? Why is this <laughs> approaching me six months into the company? I really, I really actually didn't get back to them. They emailed me like 10 times before. Oh, wow. I got back to them and said, is this really Disney? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it was so much fun to go to their office and just realizing that, you know, my idea wasn't that bad. So yeah. And, and so we, we really love the collaborations is we do it four times a year. Next year, we have amazing collaborations as well coming. So we always plan for collaborations and every three months, the consumer that hasn't been back to Maxman website comes back for our collaboration. So it's a different approach of both fun and business aspect to it. I think mm. it's a brilliant plan. You really have it all in terms of you have showrooms, direct-to-consumer e-commerce site, and wholesale. So how do you maintain the balance between all three of these? Oh, it's a lot of work. Um, but I, you know, I always believed to be a healthy business and think about profitability. You need to make sure you have all of, the, all of that. And DTC only, when you have a DTC company, you will know it's very, very expensive. And we've been lucky enough that our brand is in demand. So we get approached by bigger retailers, that are, you know, such as Harrods, Selfridges and Nordstrom. And this creates additional brand trust and recognition. So it's a wholesale or retail aspect of it is very important to us. But we do keep ourselves very limited to keep the focus on our DTC because the platform was set up as a DTC. 
but you have to be strategic and have those other aspects as well. So again, it's very important to have that to think about profitability. And that's why we're thinking about, you know, collaborations as well and, you know, growing your email list or Instagram. So all of these elements are very important to have to make sure that your company stays healthy Mm -hmm. because when you hear a company's only DTC, they have no idea what's waiting them. <laughs> oh, I just don't see how they do it. I do not. I really don't see it in this, you know, the world that we live in today. It's so hard to gain attention to your brand. And when you normally are a DTC company, you, you, you're always acquiring the customer. You know, the, you have mm. some, you know, the consumer, the audio attractor, they come back to your website. But to get a new audience, you pay for it. So you do paid digital marketing. You have to pay for, mm-hmm. you know, you do Instagram ads, you do Facebook ads. And mm-hmm. all of this costs a lot of money, especially when during COVID, when it became, everybody was doing that. So it became more and more expensive. So a lot of DTC companies, which you see actually raised huge amount of money. I won't mention any names, <laughs> but all of them are failing. And they're failing because their focus was just DTC paid on digital marketing and they were not getting the same returns because they were putting 1 million to get 1 million back. Mm-hmm. And they had, you know, they had no money to cover their overheads. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody thinks that wholesale, you have less margin and you are kind of making more money online, but it's not the truth. So that's what it is. It's important to have it all. I'm glad you explained that to our listeners because, you know, there's this stigma right now about wholesale that it's so horrible and direct to consumers is the only way to go, but there are a lot of difficult aspects to being. Exactly. To and also it's a lot more fun for you. I'm sure when you get to do these creative collaborations. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just most, much more fun than just doing BTC. And paying ads to try and acquire new, you know, paying for ads to try and acquire new, new yeah. shoppers. And being, being in Harrods or Selfridges has helped us a lot. A lot. It's like a trust Oh into yeah, the into the brand, and and I think wholesale has changed a lot as well. Or they call it retail these days. By the way, I didn't I, mm. I was so aware of that, but it's called retail. <laughs> <laughs> and what it is is like retail. They are different now. They actually pay more than what they used to do back in the days, and they work with you more because we we got approached by PetSmart to do a big collaboration with them. And we're going to have uh, the kind of their end caps and Maxbun is going to be in 500 of their stores, but we're creating like a very unique collection for them. And it's interesting to see that these guys normally are very old school. They normally kind of, you know, cut you in every corner and make sure that you pay for everything, but now they're working with us. So it's a different kind of different world to what it used to be. That is so wonderful. It really is. That is definitely different than the way it used to be. So they are finally listening and realizing that they are, there are different ways to go about doing things. And boy, working with PetSmart, that's so exciting. That's wonderful. And I can imagine, I mean, I'm just putting words into your mouth, but I know I would feel this way. Walking through Harrods and then one day having my brand there would be pretty incredible. No, it's so exciting. It still makes, it still uh, excites me when I see it. I'll take thousands of photos. (laughs) 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 And I even see, but every time I'm in New York, if I see dogs and I actually always see dogs wearing my phone, funny enough, and it's so nice. I stop them on the street and I, 
just pretend that it's a very nice product. I don't say who I am. <laughs> oh, that's you see what they say. That's smart. That's so smart. I just want to know what they say, if they recommend it or not. <laughs> right. Exactly. That is so, and then if they say it's amazing, you say, well, I, I, I created it. <laughs> if they say it's not amazing, I would just go. <laughs> <laughs> that's too bad. Goodbye. <laughs> um, let's talk about price points. I think we touched on it, but what was important to you when determining the price point? I think, you know, price point is very important and it, you know, all depends on your business and plan and where you kind of want to place yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, we wanted to be affordable luxury. So therefore, you know, you, we didn't want to price it too high for the quality we were delivering, but you do have to think about your margins. You do have to, if you want to stay healthy, that's important as well. So the price point is all about where you kind of want to be in the market and think about your margins and think about not just like thinking about margins of like wholesale, retail, direct to consumer, but like everything that you have to spend in between that doesn't eat up your margins. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tr tricky one, but it's an important one. It is. It can make a break for sure. I see a lot of people now designers and brands that are saying, you know, we are uh, listening to the customers and we are lowering our price point. And, you know, you know, we know that that means that, you know, they weren't having good luck with the pricing they had come up with. So they yeah. reevaluated and tried to figure out ways that they could lower it a little bit and still be able to, you know, make a profit in order to keep, keep the company going. So it is very tricky and it's, it's educated guesses, but it's guesses, right? Yeah. And as you said, it's like, I feel as well, sometimes we have products that we sell for $300 and it moves without any problem. So it's about the product as well. And about if it doesn't exist in the market, maybe you can price it a little bit differently. But if you're making another white t-shirt, mm -hmm. then you have to maybe think about your pricing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Very good point. During the pandemic, we experienced a serious pet boom. So mm -hmm. congratulations on getting, <laughs> on having, getting to experience that. So how did you keep up with the growth that you experienced? To be honest, I literally went through a roller coaster during the pandemic. I mean, people might think I was bipolar, but I stopped production in April due to everything, went to standstill to then just two months in, I'm like, let's double up on production. This is going really well, you know, and then uh, hoping that it would all arrive on time. And it's a fine balance to know how to pivot and do it quickly. One thing I'm known for in the company, I don't just sit around, I make quick decisions, which I think is very important. I mean, right or wrong, I kind of put my head on the line and swallow major stress to get things moving. Uh, you need to be quick and reactive, otherwise kind of someone else will take your spot. And I think that is these risks that we've taken. We have seen, we have grown 100% from last. I mean, we've grown this year as well from last year from COVID, but we grew a lot mm -hmm. during COVID. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've grown 100% from last year. So we keep kind of maintaining a healthy growth. And I made a decision in January this year, you know, I said, okay, guys, we need to design for Christmas quickly and we need to get our products in for March. And, you know, everybody in the company was pre-sell, we're too early. We don't need to order yet. I said, yes, we do. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, we're not going to be able to, we always have a goal of what kind of number revenue we need to reach. Mm -hmm. uh, but we was, I was so happy that I made that decision. We yes. placed our products <laughs> and, you know, we got our products that, you know, on time. And a lot of other companies have their stock now in the port and it's stuck, right. you know, exactly. So there's a lot of logistic issues and uh, you have to just think ahead. And of course I did risk our kind of dollars sitting in the stock, but mm -hmm. I can reach my revenue that I need to reach this year because so it kind of paid off. That's wonderful. Uh, yeah. But you have I to take a risk. Yeah. What is your 
definition of affordable luxury. We hear that term a lot, and I think a lot of people aren't sure what that actually means. Yeah, it's about what the product is in the market, and you kind of look at uh, what is the price points on the lower products and mm-hmm. what is the quality they're having and what is mm-hmm. the products they're having on the higher end. And for me, it was more of looking at the cheaper pet stuff, mm-hmm. which was $25 for a cheap nylon horrible color, which mm-hmm. is, you know, I can't even, I don't understand how people buy that. And then you mm-hmm. had Louis Vuitton and Goyard. So for me, it was quite easy to decide mm-hmm. this is the quality I want to make. Mm-hmm. This is something that I'm going to price $10 more because I'm paying more for production myself to make mm-hmm. this product to become a better product. And I think that is what affordable luxury is. Mm-hmm. And I, in, in the fashion world, it's a bit more difficult because it's so saturated and you have a lot of products, a lot of price points. Mm-hmm. So I think for our category, it's easy to say that it is affordable luxury. Mm-hmm. And it, it's true. <laughs> and it is, you know, the quality you are geared towards good quality too. So you're going to want to, you know, be happy to pay more to get that quality. Yeah. So it, it doesn't is... break your bank. Yeah. It doesn't break. Right. Your bank. Yeah. Right. You know, it's $5 for a leash where you buy it maybe 35 or 45 for Petco, but you do have a product that lasts longer and it looks so much nicer right. and you, you, it will fit your lifestyle much better. Right. Now we get to talk about perseverance from fleeing Iran as a child during the revolution, growing up in Europe and realizing your dream of immigrating to America. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. Sometimes I forget the hardship I've gone through since people mm-hmm. don't almost believe me when, I, when they meet right. me, you know, but I guess you subconsciously, you know, push away the hard times. Um, mm-hmm. and I feel like sometimes I lived different lifetimes because I lived in so many different countries from my parents being forced to leave their really great lifestyle because my parents really had a great life in Iran um, for their kids due to the war and the revolution and moving to such a foreign country for them, you know, to Sweden, they were going to move to Canada, but they chose Sweden because they always thought that they were going to move back. And it's tough to see your parents, you know, having that hope, but it never happens. So that mm. kind of saw my parents slowly deteriorating. And I think that's, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's, and it's sad to see, but I think that's kind of, I do have a feel, you know, that I am who I am as a person due to everything I've endured and experienced. And I always say hardship often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. So, you know, when someone experiences hardship, you become more understanding to other people and you become more compassionate. You know, even if I'm lucky to have a great life now, I never want anyone in my team at Maxbone to ever feel or anyone around me to think that I'm superior to them or make them feel that they have less. And I felt that way during the time when we moved to Sweden and seeing my parents being so sad and always, and I think that's where my kind of sounds horrible. The entrepreneurial spirit came to place because I always wanted to succeed to give them back the life. They kind of didn't, you know, they lost by moving to Sweden because of us. So yeah, that, that's, I think that kind of made me to who I am now and wanted mm. to always work hard. So um, yeah. And then, you know, I have moved so many times. So I always sometimes feel a bit rootless. I lived in mm. my parents were, I think I moved out of Sweden when I was 23 and I moved to London, lived in London. And from London, I met my husband and I moved to, we moved to New York and then from New York moved to LA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so moved to many places, but you know, I, I think the good thing is I don't feel trapped. I could move anywhere, anytime. However, I do love 
USA. So I think mm-hmm. this is home now. You, I, I feel like I've always been in a way American. I don't know why, maybe mm-hmm. because of the American movies, <laughs> but <laughs> I do love USA. So that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I would love it if you would say one more time what you said earlier so that people really can absorb it about hardship. Hardship often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. I think that's very special and so true. And if people knew that or could remember that when they were in the middle of going through the hard times, invariably, when they look back, they're going to say just what you have said. That made me who I am today. Yeah. And it really is true. And when you go through the hardship, you need to sometimes see this kind of, you know, (laughs) Mm-hmm. you really recognize yourself and you feel like it's, you need to read this kind of comments to be able to get right. out of toughness. So remember that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you know, Sherry Siadat? Sherry Siadat. Is she, she, it sounds like a Persian name. Yeah. Yeah. She's from <laughs> Iran and she started a brand called Tood. We can send it to you. Tood Beauty. It's a unisex beauty line, but since y'all are both, have that background i feel like y'all should know each other yeah i would love to actually it's funny mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of a big persian community here in la mm-hmm. but i feel i feel very different in a way because i think i grew up you know when I, growing up in sweden i only mm-hmm. have swedish friends and um right uh but i but i'm now when i'm getting older i kind of like to go back to my roots i'm like i want to have persian right, <laughs> right. exactly i want to know more about the culture but when, when i was younger it's it's sad but i was almost running away from it of course I think, I think you in a way want to belong and want to feel that you are part of the community where you live absolutely um, absolutely yes in a way it was good it's like you feel like an outsider but you still right feel you want to belong. And my parents always made me, they always said when we moved to Sweden, they were like, he, my dad was like, if you come on with, I want you to come on with a Swedish boyfriend, not a Persian boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we talked to a model who has Asian, do you maybe help me with this? An Asian mother and what was and well, a Russian she, fa- father? Yes. Yeah. She's Asian, but she grew up in Russia. So she did not look like any of the Russians, but her culture and the way that she grew up was more of a Russian experience. So then when she traveled to Asia, she looked like them, but she didn't think like them. So it was a very confusing. She always thought, oh, maybe if I was in Asia, I would feel like I belonged. And it wasn't until she came to America, New York specifically, mm-hmm. where anything goes and <laughs> exactly. it's so diverse that she actually felt like she belonged. So is there anything based on what we just said, anything that you'd like to share about that experience? That's exactly how I felt when I moved to London, actually, that I felt because it was such a mixed culture that I felt that I could just be myself. It doesn't matter that I was raised in Sweden, that I'm from Iran or living in London, you always feel more accepted. And, and I, you know, as I said, I was lucky enough that I lived in a great location in Sweden. So I was amongst great Swedish people and, uh, you know, had a great background and upbringing, but I did feel, I mean, I even dyed my hair, you know, I have dark hair. So I was dyeing my hair Blonde. yellow when I had orange hair color to <laughs> it in and look like the Swedish people sure sure so you you do you do feel in a way lost that you feel like you don't belong anywhere but mm-hmm. uh, but I do think back in the days it was a little bit more tougher and I feel like mm-hmm. new generation now with acceptance 
and people realizing that we live in a cultural society, no matter even Sweden. Now when I'm looking at Instagram, following my friends feels a bit of more of a mix mm. uh, than when I lived there. But yeah, mm-hmm. I did feel very lost in terms mm-hmm. of Swedish. I didn't look Swedish. I tried right. to look Swedish. <laughs> it's so interesting to me. I mean, I think people go through that no matter where they are, what their circumstances are in their family, where they fit in at school. And then as you get older, those are the things that you actually are proud of. You know, like I was tall, I'm five, nine, and I was, you know, taller than everybody else in seventh grade. And especially the the boys, you know, and I was like, oh, this is so miserable. And then when I um, got older, I was like, I'm kind of glad I'm tall, you know? So the things that you wish you could sort of hide when you're younger, a lot of times become things that you're proud of. Like you said, you're proud of your Iranian background and your parents and life is interesting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It takes time to accept. And now I love my dark hair. So I think now now when I'm looking back as well, I was actually, I was attracted to the blondes, but they were attracted to something Mm -hmm. that was different to them, but I didn't realize it while living there. So you, yeah, it's interesting. (laughs) I loved Mary Kate and Ashley. So I was like, why can't I just have a normal name? Like Mary, (laughs) what is this Delia that I have? But (laughs) very happy later to have the name Delia. I never knew that. That's funny. Yes. It's (laughs) Mary Kate and Ashley when I grew up in the nineties. So that that's, Mm -hmm. they had all the, when they were growing up as well, they were a little bit older, but then now your name too, Parisa, it makes you findable online it makes you unique and stand out and in today's world and landscape I think all three of us are very happy to have those unique differences instead of trying to assimilate and be like everyone else Mm -hmm. exactly yes what is next for Matt's phone yeah, we have a lot of exciting things happening. Um, this is, uh, we're working on this, maybe bringing in a new creative director, actually, who will join us next year. She is very well known, so I can't talk about who she is, uh, but she mm-hmm. does have the biggest passion for dogs and she gets approached by doing other businesses, but she always wanted to work with um with a dog brand and she loves Max Bone. So we're kind of working together and um, we you know, can't say anything until we have it released to the press. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our focus is to growing our health and wellness and making a platform really the only destination for pet owners. We're working very hard on that. And, you know, we have really exciting collaborations for next year as well that um, very, with very well-known brands. So a lot of exciting things happening. That is very exciting. I can't wait to find out what they're going to be. Where can people find you and Maxbone? Well, definitely on our website, maxbone.com. Or, you know, you can find us on Harrods, Selfridges, Nordstrom, Neiman Marcus, um, and soon in PetSmart. And on Instagram, it's Maxbone. Exactly. It's the Maxbone. The Maxbone. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you very, very much for taking this time with us today. And we really do adore the brand. Uh, We're proud of you for what you have built and the reasons why you built it. And we really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And I'll include a link to their website, social handles and Qultude and the episode with Dinara in the show notes. The Tude episode, we talked about how Sherry grew up in 
I think Massachusetts and she looks very Iranian. And so her, we talked a lot about beauty and trying to fit in and finally embracing the beauty ideals of Iranian culture. So a lot of interesting conversations to be had. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning into this episode on the Style That Binds Us podcast. If you like this podcast, make sure to tell a friend and subscribe. You can be a part of growing with us. Also, do you know about our weekly newsletter? You'll get access to exclusive content in our newsletter that we don't post anywhere else. Our newsletter comes out every Tuesday with the exception of the third Thursday of the month for Allison's special Celebrating Life After 40 edition. Head to the bottom of the Style That Binds Us website to subscribe.